Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to The Art Detective with me, Dr. Yanina Ramirez. I'm an Oxford art historian, a broadcaster and a writer. But for the purposes of this podcast, I am your chief investigator of images. Fun day today. Really excited. We are going to be doing some art in the loosest sense of the word with a lot of fun and chat. Uh, I'm joined by two wonderful men. Please introduce yourselves, gentlemen. Uh, I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. And we are comedy writers uh, who work together and we have written, among other things, that series of ladybird books for grown-ups which look like some sort of biblical plague in bookshops. Yeah. <laughs> They've taken over the publishing world. Am I right in thinking at one point you were like just behind JK Rowling in terms of well, annual sales? There was there was a nuts period where I think we were we were we occupied like eight eight spots on the bestseller list because we released the top ten. Yeah, in the top of the top ten. Eight out of the ten. It was like sort of the Beatles in America in the 60s. It was in 64. It was just mental. And there was a point at which I think our competition for sales was J.K. Rowling, uh, Julia Donaldson, (laughs) and one other. And it worked out because they they were all children's authors. We were the best-selling writers for grown-ups in Britain, which is insane because obviously the Ladybird books are sort of children's books, but because we said for grown-ups on the front and we're published by Michael Joseph, which is a grown-up imprint we were sort of those silly books various various publishers tried to lobby it's whether it's the bookseller or nielsen bookscan or whatever to get the books banned from the charts really they just said they shouldn't be in the charts they shouldn't count they're occupying the space that everybody else could be in that space you know they were, um, there was that including much including some other imprints at Penguin who publish our books. We're trying to get them kicked out. Oh I, think, I think we heard that at least one very respectable historian was absolutely furious that his very very respectable study of the Romanov dynasty or something had come out and hadn't gone straight to the top of the charts. And you want to go? Do you know what? If you're if you're doing basically cello concertos, you shouldn't be too pissed off if Kylie Minogue and Rihanna are at the top of the charts because there are such things popular hits and popular hits will outsell great art sometimes. And that's just what a chart is. And it was yeah, it was a very awkward, slightly <laughs> embarrassing but fun period. I think. I mean, I've got many of them. I own them. They're the best thing that my girlfriends get me for birthdays. They're they're so clever. They're so funny. And they're they're obviously observational. But Mm. they go back to this format that we all know from our childhood of the Ladybird books. Was this your idea? Or did someone come to you? Yeah, it was our our idea in the sense that we were looking for something to do. uh, Because we write a a funny book a year at least for the Christmas market. Because as comedy writers, 
you're sort of looking for ways of, of earning money. And we had a, a, a project fall through and to fill it quickly. So we we came up with the idea because, and it is interesting because this is to do with the art, um, we realised that uh, they published reproductions of the vintage Ladybird books we'd grown up with. You could buy about six of them as gifts in a box uh, they'd done once. And we thought, you published six or eight of these. Why have you stopped? Mm. Because what that meant was there was a factory that, wherever it was, it turned out to be in Italy, that they that they knew who could print things that looked, smelled, tasted, felt like Ladybird books. And we had such a strong visceral reaction to the look and feel of Ladybird books when we collected them, mm. second-hand ones. We thought there could be more. And then the question was, well, what could you put inside them? To which the answer was, well, you'd have to put artwork of an equal calibre to the originals, otherwise the joke doesn't work, they don't look like it. And then we realised that no one really draws or paints like that anymore. So the answer to that is, well, you have to use the original artwork, which it turned out, we dropped them an email and said, do you have access to all the old Ladybird artwork? Could we repurpose it? Which I think was the, the brainstorm because it made the books affordable because yeah. you weren't commissioning a bunch of new new artists who would, we imagine, be impossible to find or at least so expensive that it would mean the books were or couldn't be gifts. Mm. Yeah, well, no one would take a punt on a book, you know, like a seven ninety nine book with your commissioning 26 illustrations from a commercial artist. It just doesn't work. Mm. Um, what happened was that there was a very sage woman at uh, Penguin called Ronnie Fairweather um, who had at some point decided that she was going to take as much of the original artwork as possible and where she didn't have the originals, pieces from the books, and scan them all and put them in a database and tag them with keywords. Right. And a great yeah. many of her colleagues said, Ronnie, you're going mad. There's, there's literally <laughs> we no, we have there no, use. no... We have no use for this. There's <laughs> no reason to do this. There is absolutely no reason. We've stopped making these books. This is... We've got Nobody si cares. We, we've, made, we've made eight reprints. We've got six mugs and a couple of pencil cases. <laughs> what with Peter and Jane on? What the hell are you doing? Why do we need whatever it was? 15,000 oh illustrations. Oh, my gosh. So she, so you had, she had someone scan it all and keyword tag it all and put it all into an online database. And we came along and said, is there any way we could look at the original artwork and perhaps search it? And she went, thank God. Some, you were the you ones I was doing it for. me looking mad. <laughs> but it was, it was, she'd done it as, as an act of preservation because they were going to throw this artwork away. They had it in storage, but storage of artwork is very expensive uh, unless, it's, unless you can monetize it and make, make it uh, pay its way. Uh, just because something's in a box doesn't mean it doesn't cost you money to look after it and keep it in temperature-controlled environment. And it was just in a cupboard in Penguin's offices because Penguin owned Ladybird. Uh, and it was using up space that they needed for other stuff, for filing. And they would, they talked about putting it in a skip and just getting rid of it because it had no use of it. And then they talked about trying to get the Victoria and Albert Museum to look after it there as an as a illustration department mm. thing. By a and, narrow vote, they said no, which it, I think was a mistake on their part. Yeah, but it ended up uh, going to, I think it's gone to University of Reading now, look after it. But for a while, it was, it was just going to be burned. So uh, what's lovely about it is that this artwork, which uh, Ronnie had an incredibly sentimental attachment mm. to, the Golden Age of Penguin illustration, these astonishing pieces of commercial art, and we had an astonishingly uh, visceral reaction to because we'd grown up with it and had also read those books to our children. Who So it goes over generations because they're you keep these books. They're precious. They're hardbacks. They last. They're printed on nice paper. Mm. Um, you hold on to them. You sellotape the spines back on. Yeah. They are <laughs> fetishised objects. Um and what was really nice is she managed to save this archive so that when we came up with an idea for something which would use the format and be a joke that people understood, and the joke we thought of was, what if, um, a bit like they still make Star Wars movies for grown-up children, yeah. what if they made Ladybird books for the children <laughs> of that generation who'd grown up and now wanted to know about insurance and mortgages and cholesterol <laughs> and the things that confuse adults a bit like motor cars 
and magnets confuse kids. So we came up with the, the, the idea for it, we, we, we persuaded them to do, and the amazing coincidence was that they had this resource lying around, which they were dying to put to use and hadn't worked out what to do with. Good grief. I mean, I've got one called The Hangover, which is one yeah. of my favourite ones. It's the autobiographical one. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. That I was could, the I'm fastest sure. one we wrote <laughs> by a the long shot. The Hangover is my favourite. And there's one image I think you've used, which is sort of a spacey technology. Yeah. It must have come from a children's technology book, but it's so beautifully apt for your head yeah. feeling smashed. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we tag them. Uh, so we go through the archive. We know the archive fairly well now because we sort of spent three or four years guddling around it looking for pictures. And we tag them ourselves with tags that are useful for us. So we look <laughs> through and if we see something that looks like someone's holding their head in a Dick Whittington story we'll put a little tag on it saying it could be hangover, hangover. but one of our favourite <laughs> tags is what and where it's an unusual image we just tag it what and go that will be useful At somewhere some and, we, and I think that picture of like incredible space technology was it'll be useful for something I don't know what yet and occasionally you just look through the what pile and go yep yeah, brilliant that's a front cover yeah you can make a whole book out of the what pile I'm fascinated <laughs> by the process because you guys do this in three weeks don't you, you tell three weeks about, yeah it's about three weeks that is yeah. bonkers please so how does it work you do the text first or do you no, do the images it's a blend. It's a, but the first thing we do is once we've identified subject areas, we then sit and brainstorm the subject areas and research them. We've needed to research nearly every book, I think apart from The Hangover I for some imagine. reason. Um, That's not even draft oh, one. the hipster as well. Yeah. That, that didn't they just, they, research baby? Yeah, we, yeah, talk, we yeah. talk to people, go, we uh, interview friends, talk to them, buy people a pint, say, tell us all the anecdotes, tell us stories about your life. The other thing we do, which is brilliant, which you couldn't do a few years ago if you're doing observational comedy, is uh, you always used to get jokes by eavesdropping on people in mm. cafes and on uh, and in, oh, on the bus and things like that. And we realised that you can eavesdrop on the internet because if you type in washing machine problem, you get a lot of washing machine websites, but you also get things like, I don't know, live action role players moaning about their washing machines and Mumsnet. Mumsnet threads. is the best resource. And it's just and real life anecdotes. And it will yeah. be people like motorbike enthusiasts moaning about their uh, baby's night feeding. Yeah. So you're eavesdropping on different groups and different takes. So you don't just get your, because you could write down like, write down a hundred observations about your experience of, 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 of becoming a new dad or a new mum but you want to hear it from other people How and does the motorcycle enthusiast feel about baby waking it just yeah. puts you in different brains for a bit and it's quite a good way of just stopping all the observation being from exactly your point of view there's a great thread on Mumsnet I think it was when oh, I can't think which book it was we were researching that I ended up spending almost a day on this thread on Mumsnet and it's called it's called something like what are some stupid lies you tell <laughs> Um, and it's one of the funniest things I've ever read. There were so many good things on there. We couldn't use any of them because they were just, they were real. They were other people's things. But there was stuff on there like, um, there was one woman saying, um, I live alone. And when I order a really giant pizza, <laughs> when the guy comes to the doorbell, as I answer the door, I shout, kids, pizza's here. <laughs> and there was another, there was another woman who said, whenever anyone comes around, I go around and dust and tidy and polish everything. And as soon as they walk in the door, I say, sorry about the mess. Yeah. <laughs> I do that one. Tidy, tidying for the maid in the hotel room. <laughs> that one, yeah. Yeah. I do that there was one. A great, there was a great, um, I, I was telling this to a friend of ours and she said, oh my God, that, that's not the way you do it. The way you do it is just before they arrive, you just spray some Mr. Sheen into the air like an aerosol. Also works. Or, yeah. or uh, Vibreeze. Yeah. Like, go yeah. around with the Vibreeze. Oh, doesn't your house smell lovely? I know there's yes. all these techniques. But, but I like this idea of resource gathering. And, um, and so you, obviously you were resource gathering for ideas of, people's reactions things yeah. that affect people in the modern age but then when, how did you then get onto the images what was it that you would look well, for well then it's it's a two-pronged thing you do probably about a week of research and then basically you end up with a big document with sort of 
areas and probably openings of, of, of observations that you might combine six or seven of those into one page, mm. how people feel about things, phrases they use, things like that. So you've got that as a resource. And then you either write, you, the, the thing with Ladybird books and why the joke works, I think, is there's a facing page. Mm. And the facing page format, which they, was Ladybird, Douglas Keene invented for Ladybird, is just a brilliant way of either delivering information or uh, telling a story or a joke because you've got a juxtaposition. So you, what you're doing, you will either write to the left-hand page and write a little, what I think of a little short story, a peep into someone's life, and then, then look for an image to match it on the right-hand page, or alternatively, grab an image from the set we've looked through and said, oh, these are hangover images, or these are new dad images, and shove them into the right-hand page, and then look through the notes for a description or an experience that matches it. And it's about 50-50 which one will come first or second. Yeah. But you're matching the, the image. And the real joy of the Ladybird art, I think, is that it's photorealistic. Yes. If it was like Quentin Blake, if it was children's illustrations like that, or Axel Scheffler, or, or anyone like that, it wouldn't work. I think it works because they're, they're from photographs. Yeah. And we've met some of the people who are in the photographs. Well, this is something I've... Peter and Jane. Peter they, and Jane, you've met. They're real people. Yes. And, but you know them, and you know their families. And we, we put pictures up, and people then go, oh, it's great, because that's my dad who's in that book. And because they're a real person, they'll say something like, oh, if you look very closely to that picture of him, he's got like uh, the tip of his little finger missing. That was a tennis accident or something. And what's great is because you can look into these pictures and see real people, we can look into them and tell pretend stories of them you can look into their eyes and they are, they're not made up people. They, they did have real lives. So they are going to be feeling these things. And it's almost the, it's almost the uh, juxtaposition of what's seemingly realistic and serious and a representation of reality. Yeah. Juxtaposed with something that's satirical and yeah. nonsensical. Well, the, and, and if it was they're already both, a uh, you know, cartoon or a They're satire. both distortions. Yeah. And the thing, when you, when you see the photographs of the, these are painted from, you realise why at the time, not only was it difficult to reproduce photographs accurately and expensive to stage them at the time. It was easier to, there were lots Lots of experienced commercial artists who are illustrating catalogues and posters and advertising. They were very, very fast and, and efficient. But you look at the difference between the original photo and what's in a Ladybird book, and the Ladybird book has been changed. It's been exaggerated. The, the the sun is brighter. The people are at a better angle to show off what they're showing off. You couldn't take a picture as good and as educational and as clear as the paintings are. So they're real people in exaggerated positions. And then the text opposite it is an exaggerated version of an observation. So they kind of match perfectly. That's so interesting. The idea I hadn't even thought about it that way, that these sort of exaggerated reality makes some good teaching aids. Yeah. But, mm. but I mean, they're also a document of time, aren't they? I mean, because they go back how many years? How well, many Lady, years Ladybird was roughly 100 years of Ladybird book they've been but they only started being like these mm. the the facing page ones probably in the 40s yeah in the, in the 40s it was during the second world war douglas Keane, who was running ladybird bought a gigantic load of paper stock because he knew it was going to come under rationing and he used these pieces of 40 by 30 inch paper and said how can we best use these and he worked out we can print an entire book on one of these pieces of paper that's the size of a ladybird so that's book. why a ladybird is the whatever it is seven by four five no waste that's no, nothing so to pulp cool environmentally terrific. There's, there's no spare. Nothing's trimmed off the sides. That was, <laughs> it was a completely commercial decision. Make do and mend, wasn't it? It worked really? great. They're the between, right size for, for children's hands. Between, yeah. no, between 1940 and 1980, Ladybird published, I should know this number, it's a book every three weeks yeah, it amounts to. It's the same time it takes us to do the silly ones, which is I thought was nicely uh, appropriate. But the, the, the thing with the, the imagery in that it's, uh, it's realistic mm. 
and that you can look into it and then see short stories. So we think of the, the facing pages of the text as they're partly jokes and they're partly short stories about people's lives, which is why I think people enjoy it because they go, oh, my, my dad's like that, my uncle's yeah, like that, yeah. whatever. Shed, but, everything in a shed. Yeah. <laughs> you can't if go you, wrong with a picture of a shed. You're looking for jokes that people recognise but hopefully haven't heard a hundred times before in stand-up routines. So you're looking for that. But what you've got on the right-hand side is a piece of art which you can do something which has been a creative writing exercise for hundreds of years. It's Tracy Chevalier's Girl with a Pearl Earring or it's uh, Shalk and the Painter by Sheridan Le Fanu. It's There's lots of novels and short stories where you look at a painting and go, I wonder what they're thinking. It, <gasps> and it, I think it's it's a, it's a creative writing exercise. I remember doing it at school. Mm-hmm. And I think it's got an honourable tradition. You stare into a picture until the person's life comes to life. And oddly, mm-hmm. these pictures, because they are realistic and photorealistic and really well done, they have an inner life that you can drive a, a, a sort of well shaft into and just draw stuff out of. That's amazing. Again, you know, my little boy, he's nine now, and he had a similar thing. He got sent home with an illustration, no context, and just told to create a story looking yeah. at the image. And it's, of course, sort of the, that basic instinct that we want to do when we look at an artwork is pull out the story, pull out yeah. the human mm. interest aspect of it. But with these, they're, they're such a reflection of our own lives or aspects of our own lives that they're almost like a little mirror to ourselves as well, yeah. aren't they? Ho- hopefully. I mean, also the fact that they're they're old pictures mm. we made a decision as well we wouldn't alter the pictures partly out of respect to the artists because they did a, a really good job and the last thing we're doing is taking the piss out of the art because yeah. the art is excellent these artists were amazing so we said we wouldn't paint in iphones and cans of stella and things into them we'd leave them as they were but that juxtaposition that makes it funnier, though. yeah i yeah. think yeah. the juxtaposition yeah, yeah. is that that's not a hipster exactly. that's a man in a diving suit <laughs> That you can sense, I hope, the desperation of the team who are making these books to go, we don't have any pictures of a computer that isn't the size of a mini engine. What the hell are we going to... There's no laptops. There's no desks. Yeah. We looked for the, We did no, two no, or three one office desk, ones. Two desks, are you joking? Yeah, because people didn't work at desks at the time. The thing I found this morning, which blew my mind, we were looking for... I wanted a picture of Japan, mm. either a modern city or anything. There is nothing in these, but there's very little about the rest of the world. Right. And Douglas Keane was not a sort of an imperialist right winger. He was a, a very, very left wing man, very open minded man about education and everything. But this is an era when these illustrations are from where you were quite insular about your history and your politics. And there was very little, there are very few illustrations of Canada or India, or it's weird. Even places you think you'd sell these books. There's a sense of, you need to know the history of of Perkin Warbeck and and William of Orange, but you don't need to know about the Indian mutiny. But it's it's interesting then, I guess, because it must be, it is a very sort of white, middle-class British format the ladybird image isn't it you don't see i mean have you struggled to find kind of cosmopolitan looking images we got lucky with a with uh, in the peter and jane books were published for uh, a caribbean audience as the ken and joy books and they were called sunstar books wow. someone alerted us to this so we got hold of the, the whole of the sunstar illustration i said scan those in and it gave Catalog. us this amazing archive so suddenly we've got we've got black faces Black families. You know, Asian families. And it, it opened it up and they're all done by Martin Aitchison, most of them, who did the original Peter and Jane book. So they match perfectly. And we can do a much better... The first year, we didn't have access to that archive. Second year, we'd got it. So it opened up possibilities of doing slightly different things with it. And also, to slightly... The, the, the joke is the images don't match the descriptions yeah. we're doing. So it's not... It's set any when... Um, Though we make references to iPads and things on the uh, the facing page, but the image will be from from Ladybird times. 
uh, but we can just join them up a little bit more than we could at the beginning. We've got more pictures now, mm. um, but it's amazing. What lucky resource to have landed on there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it was yeah. a godsend because it was slightly embarrassing. I mean, the, we, there were a few uh, sort of faces of colour at the beginning, but they were mainly at Rourke's Drift and things like that. They were they were done from a very very uh, post imperial Arthur Mee's Children Encyclopedia kind mm. of view of things. It, it's it's really odd. I, I was quite struck and quite moved by looking at it and thinking there's no attempt in these in this archive which is an educational archive to limit the size of the world but it was just assumed that this wasn't of interest that you could go to enormous depth about the machinations of magna carta and king john it's almost that sort of jacob reese mogg (laughs) would like history to simplify and blinker down to this just this level of this is all that's important but you realize that that was the educational system that we grew up Absolutely. in. But the educational system that my son grows up in and our children grow up in has a much more global view. A friend of mine was saying, he was reading um, Raymond Briggs's Father Christmas book, the, 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 the picture book, and he said, Father Christmas flies all the way around the world and all you see is him delivering to children in Britain except for one igloo. And it would be unthinkable now that you wouldn't do a vast... Uh, Arthur Christmas style journey around the world now. Well, this is it. I mean, we, so much has changed. And I, I was thinking about you guys in relation to this using old archive, because I mean, even even in my discipline in art history, the A-level was being scrapped, but it's been brought back, but it's been brought back as world art history. And some people uh, are thinking, you know, we just want to do... Constable. Yeah, can exactly. We can we just do Turner and Constable? But actually, that's the way things have changed. And if you're using an archive it, as your main source of inspiration and and... Yeah. and uh, and it's so obviously set in post-war yeah. insular Britain. Mm. Yeah. It's going to affect. I mean, they're what not as do with it. they're not as cosy and backward-looking as you think. There's a there's yeah. a. Uh, it's amazing how much. Certainly, by the time you get to the sixties and they're repainting Peter and Jane, the boy is doing a lot more stuff with dolls, and the girl is doing a lot more scientific experiments. They're moving with the times. They are. They are. They're not as retrograde as you think. A lot of the time, people talk about them being old-fashioned, mm-hmm. but they're thinking of the books maybe they inherited from their parents. The book, if you bought a new Ladybird, it would usually have kept up with the times fairly well. There's a lovely picture of Jane in a toy shop, which we've got different versions through the, through the ages. That's and good. at the beginning, there is a gollywog in there. And by the, by the third or fourth painting, there's a Dalek and a $6 million man. And it's beautiful. The toys have come along with her. Yeah. But if you were reading the copy that belonged to your auntie, or in a second-hand shop, as re- as re- and it would look a lot older than it actually is, I think. But I think that's, again, what's so interesting about what you're doing. You're using a living archive that has developed and changed over time, and those images are you know, the fashion, the way people dress, yeah. mm. the cars they drive, the way they lived. They're all in these images, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. One of the best uh, Ladybird artists was a guy called John Berry, um, and he always painted from photographs. And, and one of the things that he did slavishly was when a photograph had been taken with a flash and it had left some shadows on the photo, he would paint those into the picture as well. So you get this kind of, there's a great one of, uh, I think it's in The Nurse, where it's a nurse just making a bed or something, and there's her shadow projected onto the wall from behind from the flash of the camera, and he's bothered to copy it. He's put it in. Um, she's, a, she's one of these great, lovely 60s nurses where you go, wow, that's how nurses used to look and carry Aww. on films. Yeah, exactly. you know, it's great. <laughs> but do, do you get this? I get the same thing where we, we for, for the first swathe the books, we had a certain amount of archive and we could request more to be scanned in as we found them. Mm-hmm. You'd find them in charity shops and, and in the archive at Reading. And we'd send an email to Ladybird and say, can you scan these ones? And you've got these ones missing. We've got a much broader range. But at the beginning, we were using a lot of the first generation paintings of, of families. We're looking for, we do exhaust the modern images quite quickly mm. because they're the easiest ones to do social observational humour about, about they dads look and mums. I mean, the way that, the, yeah. I think you've got one, one of the books I've got where there's this 
awful looking 80s brown car yeah. in the background and just looking at a brown 80s that, car is funny it's got, <laughs> it, 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 it gives funny. it it helps it because I suppose there's, there's social observation in it anyway it's a little bit like Peter Kay going do you remember Space exactly. Dust and Space Hoppers there's a bit of that but the first wave we have were very 60s and I enjoyed doing those and they felt quite redolent the second wave we asked for the repaints from the early 70s and those people are dressed like our parents yes a lot more they're dressed in sort of leather jackets and jeans and things and yeah. my god those just go straight into my heart because I don't think they're necessarily the ladybird books I grew up with but those fashions say this is my childhood and one of the jokes I think that makes these books work if they do work is the difference between your view of the world as a child and your view of the world as an adult and you're looking there's a there's an enormous hope and brightness about the paintings and a cleanliness and a, and a simplicity to the paintings the, the most of them and then a slightly complicated tired text pair with them makes you look and go god what happened to the person i thought i was going to be no well it's nostalgia that's a a good bit of fun though to be had with them is to is to try and choose a nice bright sunny image especially one which you know has got positive connections in your head and then write the bluest gloomiest piece of text next to it it's all it's all in the key of the the theme song from whatever happened to the likely lads isn't it these books what happened to you whatever happened to me it's got that sort of Sort of aching nostalgia going, oh, God, do you remember when you thought? Because you do, you, you look at the, the mums and dads. And when I was a kid, you went, oh, one day I'll be a mum and dad like that. And then you realise when you look at these things, we do this a lot where, where there'll be a picture. We, they, these are gold dust. Well, we've got a picture of the kids and the mum and dad are in it. In the original book, it will all have been from the kids' point of view. And in our one, we can do it all from the grown-ups' point of view. <laughs> And you go suddenly you're in the head of the other character in the in the in the picture and they've got a completely different outlook. Yeah. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, that, again, it's 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 imposed narratives where you're yeah. switching around. Yeah. But, but I love this idea of the childhood um, 
experience of life because we all have this memory of for a start you're smaller everything feels yes. massive yes. Yeah. everything feels bright and cheerful and exciting and I was saying to you guys before we started I've just come back from the Isle of Wight and there's this sense in which it just reminds me of being a child and yeah. the, the landscape the whole place but that's what these images do they take you back to being a child you're sitting in your school primary yeah. school flicking through them and and is that what it is then that 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 these images do. How, how do you think they, they get that quality, that nostalgia to come through in the actual visuals? Well, obviously there's the immediate familiarity because mm. Ladybird was really was part of the furniture. You know, it was like jeans or EastEnders. You know, everybody had a connection with it some one way or another. So the immediacy is there. I think the, I think the quality of the artwork is an important point as well because it's very good. And also a lot of it, is documentary the stuff that we tend to rely on is the documentary stuff because obviously they did fairy tales and mm -hmm. things and, the, and which some of which in the history and, yeah. and things but we, we tend to rely on the documentary ones where it's a it's a book about magnets or plastic or it's an ABC or something like that and what you get there is a really weird and brilliant combination of the most unpromising subject matter subjected to the most brilliant craftsmanship. Mm. So, for instance, there is a picture which we use as the cover of How It Works the Grandparent, which is a picture of a kettle um, painted by Gerald Whitcomb. Uh, now, I can't even draw a straight line convincingly, but what he's doing in that picture might as well be fucking magic because <laughs> he is making the light dance and the reflections dance off a stainless steel kettle, and I have no idea how he's done it. Absolutely it's, it's no got, idea at all. It feels a little bit like, because they are, they are they're poems of the mundane, they, 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 they're, they're banal subjects painted in enormous... When you're a kid, you spend all day looking at a bunch of <laughs> yeah. keys or something like that. I've bought, I mean, genuinely, in my pocket, I've got a, a key ring I bought off eBay because it was my dad's key ring. Because I can remember what it felt like in my mouth. Yeah. Because I mean, when you're a kid, you put things in your mouth, you feel... <laughs> you're obsessed with things, you, you, you've got the oral feel of everything, you know what it feels like to run through your fingers. You know, if I said to you... What does it feel like to pull the uh, ejector seat on a corgi James Bond Aston Martin DB5? <laughs> I can feel it under my fingers. You I... obsess with small objects. And the Ladywell illustrations fetishise and honour a child's view of the world that little objects are really important and deserve... Weirdly, it reminds me of there was, I, you'll know more about this, you're an art historian, but there's a revolution in, in still life where people start painting banal things yeah. rather than crowns and goblets. And you start getting portraits of ordinary scenes. Yeah. And oddly, these are like Bruegels or something. They are celebrations of ordinary life yeah. done by people who, they were commercial artists and most of their work is pulped or thrown away now because it'd be catalogues and magazine adverts and things. But Ladybird's people kept. Yeah. So they're a beautiful record of of what a kettle and a tap looked like in 1965. I bought, I bought an original piece of Ladybird artwork recently by my favourite Ladybird artist, Harry Wingfield. I've been trying to find a piece of his for sale for some years now, and I finally got one a little while ago in an auction, hideously underpriced, so underpriced it was ridiculous. But so Everyone's now going out and looking these things up well, now. Listen, they will they cost a lot. They need, they, it was worth probably six or seven times what I got it for, which is ridiculous. Um, but it is, it's beautiful. It is a painting of a sliced tomato. That's it. <laughs> the most unpromising subject matter, but boy, is that going up in my kitchen. Oh, that's amazing. Because it's brilliant. It's so vivid. I can it's taste that, but the they, they have They have a platonic ideal thing about them. Is That is the tomatoiest tomato there's ever been. Yeah. They, they yeah. have the essence of the spirit of the item in them. And when you're learning what these were, I associate these uh, illustrations sometimes almost 
as the labels in the filing system, my brain said, "What does a crayon look like?" Well, lots of the big fat crayons in the in, yeah, the, in the baby's picture book. Yeah, and you, a magnet. I can see yeah. the magnet yeah. from my one on magnetics in my yeah. head right now. Yeah. That's what a magnet looks like. David Quantic, who a comedy writer who sort of does Veep and, and thick of it and things, said to us, "He said the thing about these ladybird books is the colours. Yeah. They're electric and they go in at a primal pre-verbal level." He said, "And you can remember the colour." He, his one was the, the red that Peter paints his go-kart is the reddest red there's ever been. Yeah. And I always said that the purple, the glow of the magic porridge pot is a colour I've been looking for all my life. I would I would paint everything that colour. It's magical. But again, it's that childhood uh, essence, isn't it? You know, we, we if we look through modern art, one of the things that a lot of artists were trying to do is get back to a childlike state yeah. where things are not... Uh, toned down and you know you were saying a photograph wouldn't highlight no. things as well because everything's more homogenous in real yes. life but in your childhood imagination everything's bright everything's distinctive yeah. and you're right even the tiniest details are, are worthy of you know, hours of scrutiny and I love this idea of the reddest of red tomatoes and it's such a small thing and yet it's being celebrated by these artists they seem more real someone said that about apparently it's something in the the chemicals of Kodak film that tends to bias yellow. Yes. Which is why people think their the childhoods in the 70s are really, really sunny because it, it gives their thing a sort of slightly sunny cast. Yeah. Apparently, uh, I think uh, Fuji bias is blue, but everyone had Kodak cameras and film when we were, we were younger. So all those pictures of the summer of 1976 or 1981 look just incredibly vivid. And they've got the same colour values and colour balance as Ladybird art, which is sort of... I don't know, it's sort of stained glass or slideshow colours, that slightly too vivid uh, reality or psychedelic mm. quality almost to them. And the a flattening too. I mean, that's the other thing I really enjoy about a lot of these ladybird images. They, they're flattened out and everything is laid out in front of you. So so the perspective is, is always flat, but the light is always very bright and frontal. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it, it, it's, it's not reality. It's no. a heightened version but of reality. It can yeah. be used to do quite weird things as well because one of the things that I found completely uh, transporting and magical about the nursery rhyme books that... Uh, Frank Hampson painted and the, a lot of the, the fairy tale books mm. is that instead of looking like fairy tales or nursery rhymes, they look like reportage art of these events actually happening. They, it looks like there's a real troll under a real, which is why it was so scary as kids. Like it's terrifying though, is Because they're really hyper real. And so there's the feeling, almost like uncanny valley kind of thing, that these events, Red Riding Hood actually happened. That really is a wolf dressed as an old lady. And that happens in the fairy tale stuff, but it also happens in the history books. Absolutely. The history ones are the ones that I remember the most. And it is almost this idea that how, whenever we think about the past, we think about it uh, distant, but also it's usually caricatured or illustrated or stylized. Yeah. But these were almost as if they were photographs. But they, they, they also, they set you, there's no argument that in a Ladybird book that Queen Elizabeth looked like this. Yeah. When you look at the picture <laughs> of Raleigh playing bowls before the Armada coming, there's no ambiguity that that event might not have happened yeah. <laughs> because someone went down and painted it and I can see it. It's there. So when I'm growing up and I read that book, there's, well, if someone said to me at age 21 at college, yeah. uh, I was studying history, that might not have happened. I go, it definitely happened because I definitely saw it. I've seen it in my head. That, I mean, it's, it's in a way, it's kind of the scary thing about making these, these empirical little books for children that – that's how we were taught to consume our facts. That's how we were taught to visualise. Yeah. And it was part of this this way of teaching that this is fact, what I'm telling you is yeah. fact. Uh, and it's a fun, funny that you say that because you're right, actually. So many of my historical memories have been framed by these these books. And does that almost allow for a lack of interpretation? Well, I think, I think it's, it's not a lack of interpretation. It's the, it's the 
but it's the flip side of the same thing, which is an absolute certainty. Mm. The, the, the texts are all done with certainty. And they, and they were quite opinionated as well. I think there's one that says King John was probably the worst king England has ever had. <laughs> not you know. for debate, it's no. fine. Not for debate, third, no. a hunt back, And then how many thousands of children are going to go on saying yeah, that? Yeah, go, all right, I know King John, he's the bad one. Isn't yeah, he? Hang exactly. on a minute, I'm sure there's more to it than that, isn't there? But no, we haven't got time for that. It's history. We can't examine the nuances. We just It's a kid's book. It's 52 pages. We just need to get it across the line. Here you go. That's what you need to know about him. And the same thing is true with the images. You've got the certain of the images you know this is a this is, it's a real world definitely even when it is down to the, the Frank Hampsons which used to freak me out as a kid I must admit um, I saw one recently which was the old woman who lives in a shoe oh, yeah. and she's got she's got the child tied to a table which has got a, an arse beating, beating machine yeah. on it, you know that a really mechanical happened. paddle that just look at unlocked that go, a it look, horrible it looks like set of images war art. in my head now. That's like, yeah. it's like yeah. someone's been sent to witness this and they've yeah. sent reportage art back from the actual scene I was, I'm obsessed by that I, I love Frank Hampson anyway Dan Dare and he's just a terrific artist mm-hmm. but the, the realism and he worked from photographs as well the realism he brought to those fairy tales so those nursery rhymes is the. I don't own much Ladybird art but I do own Frank Hampson ones because mm. I find owning those pieces of artwork helps me sort of deal with the fact that they scared me a <laughs> yeah. bit. I know, I know where Peter Pumpkin Eater is now, and he's safe. I mean, this is that's really unlocked. I'm going to go back and look mine up now. It's traumatized it is, you. It's awful, careful, but you careful. do block them out. Actually, the ones yeah. that upset you. But you turn those. Do you remember reading a book and turning two pages Absolutely. together? Absolutely. I, I think I stuck two pages together once with, with pictures. I remember. I it, didn't like the image. No one ever remembers that. Uh, one of those false memories we have about childhood illustration is that Quentin Blake illustrated Roald Dahl books. Did the whole Roald Dahl books? Mm-hmm. But he did it in the '90s, late '90s. Yeah. Really late. Before then, they were illustrated by other illustrators. And I wish I knew the guy's name. I've forgotten it now. But there was a guy who did the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory books. Beautiful little, very detailed, slightly more realistic than Quentin Blake illustrations. And Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator has some horrible pictures of the grandparents getting really super old and little monsters. And I used to hold my breath yeah. and turn two pages at once so as not to see those pages. But it, but it because is that's this... what you do with, with kids' illustrations. They are You pour over them. Like you do everything. I think what's interesting is we're, we're sort of going through a change, aren't we? Because I think what I remember thinking growing up was when you're a child, your books have pictures and you yeah. need the pictures as much as the words to to understand them. And the older you get and the more mature you get, you start to read books without pictures. Alice but, in Wonderland, what good is a book it, without pictures, said Alice. Exactly. Mm. But we're sort of changing because we're becoming visually stimulated again yeah. as adults. We're, we're constantly surrounded by by images on our phones and our computers and we want images again, yeah. but we, we don't have that naivety of being being able to relate to them with a child's mind. So so it, it, that's partly, I think, why your books work as a format, because you come as an adult reader with a certain amount of scepticism and, and fear of trusting an image yeah. and already set up. And you yeah. want to trust the text and you want to distrust the image, but actually you're playing that relationship They're so slippery, well in the books. The yeah. I think one of the things that we always said that, that was nice, I mean, just a genuinely nice experience to it. We didn't realise it was going to happen when the books were published. We thought they would... We wrote them for a humour market rather than a gifting market. We thought people would buy them off the humour table like a 101 uses for a dead cat or one <laughs> yeah. of those sort of like comedy books. And they, they sort of leaked out into sort of gifting. People were giving them as presents. And we went, oh, God, I remember these books used to be treats. Yeah. You do well at a school test and you'd be given one. Or Sunday schools apparently used to buy lots of the sort of the Bible stories and give them out to, to kids as, as presents and things. Or the, or you could buy them with your pocket money. They are treats and they're little. They're like little sweets, little chocolate bars. Mm-hmm. And they're brightly coloured and they're small and they're really good and they treat you well and they respect you and they're not crap. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff that's given to kids is crap and these weren't. And the really weird thing was when they came out, anyone who remembered them picked up and went, oh, 
I remember being treated nicely. Oh. I remember being given a book that was full colour. It wasn't it wasn't meagre. The art was the best illustrator of the day. The, the storytellers were, the people who wrote the stories were brilliant. Vera Southgate, who wrote those fairy stories, yeah. Ladybird was still using her text unchanged into the 90s, 2000s. She wrote them so well, they never needed rewriting. These were good, done by the best people. And the feeling of picking up something and going, this is mine mm-hmm. and this is a treat. As a grown-up, you feel a bit naughty about doing that because you, you might buy yourself a big coffee table book at Christmas of, I don't know, old cars or mm. ball gowns or something like that. I mean, I'm trying to think of th- things I've got under my coffee table. The history of the G-Plan coffee table is under my coffee table. <laughs> we have the history so. of the suit, yeah, which is a book about yeah. this big. That's what you buy as a suits. treat. I bought myself recently a book about close encounters of the third kind. That was my naughty treat. Mm. But it costs about 40 quid yeah. and you ask for it for a birthday and it's a big deal. And otherwise, you don't buy a big illustrated colourful book that's the best of it. It's kind. It's a real special treat. And the idea of having one that cost about six, seven quid and was given to you by a mate as a laugh, yeah. you went, oh, that's a treat. It's honestly an inspired idea. I mean, I, I treasure the ones that I had as a child, but I actually treasure the ones that my friends have given me recently because they all remind me of how my friend feels about me. Aww. Maybe we had a hangover and she's given me the hangover <laughs> and it was sort of a bonding moment. And and these books... That's a really you know, lovely thing to say. No one said that to us. Well, that is a really lovely me. thing to say. Yeah, I, tried, I, I was digging them out coming out because they've all got inscriptions in the front from my yeah. friends and they've all come from different girly friends and they really matter to me and they will be another episode of my life that I remember and associate with the format. That's um, yeah, oh, well, that's nice. I'm really touched by that. <laughs> oh, really oh guys. Oh. But yeah, well, weirdly, I'm writing my own little Ladybird book yes, now. Yes, I know. A Ladybird Expert, which is again really extraordinary to how you things to say, come full circle. You're to say what it's, it's about? It's on Beowulf. Are you going to hey. open it with a big white? It's a got, I have. Well, you. I have gone quat, exactly. But yeah, and, I can't, and I'm in the process of, do, of working with the illustrators at the moment. And it's, it's fascinating because there is something about Ladybird illustrations that there, there's so much nostalgia. It's... It, it, I don't know what it is. It is that tactility that you talked about, but even the texture of the covers, even the way mm. that the spine's bound, you yeah, know, your yeah. little me- finger memory from when you're a child and, and treasuring them and holding them, that all gets wrapped up in these objects but in the you, artwork, doesn't it? You can't yeah. get it wrong. That's the other thing as well. We, we do a lot of pastiche. And our number one thing we always say is you can't get it wrong. Mm. If you get it 5% wrong, it doesn't feel right. If you want to do a pastiche of, uh, of of James Bond, it will t- cost as much as making a James Bond film to do a good one. People, we used to do a thing called the Framley Examiner, which was a spoof local newspaper. And people said, how do you get it to look like a local newspaper? And the answer was, we design it on the same desktop software that we used to do design for local newspapers on. We were trained in it. It's, it to make something that's a pastiche, you need to use a lot of the same skills. Authenticity as has to come and, Yeah, People spot a bum note in something. And so it has to be the right typefaces and the right thing. And the thing about those Ladybird books, the new ones, the expert series and the ones we do, is they're made not only by the same company with using the same artwork and the same production techniques, but they're made on the same presses because those presses that the Ladybirds were on ended up moving. To, they're printed in Italy now by, by a company called Lego, but we went out to visit them and those are the presses. That no. the same they ones. used to be at Loughborough, yeah. So the reason they feel the same is they're made on the same machine. Oh. So it's, it's you're using all the facilities that you could do to make this as accurate as possible so that when you go... Oh, the paper smells the same. Yeah, it does. It's the same paper. It's been through the same press oh as the original ones. The only thing that's different is you've not had to sellotape the spine back because <laughs> you've loved it too much. But it, 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 there is something wonderfully magical about it. And, and I think as an art historian, I'm, I study things that are a thousand years old. And these things will become our documents in art and in text yes. that will go on for hundreds of years and people will look back and go, wow, that's what the 70s looked like. Wow, yeah. look yeah. at that. And so you guys have given them a new lease of life, a new interpretation. What, um, the, what they'll find out about our current times, we're obsessed with the past. 
Absolutely. <laughs> well, what, 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 what was the millennium like? It was sort of like everyone saying it was better in the old days. Yeah. But also, yeah. isn't it isn't it isn't it reassuring to look at the, this stuff? Is these people were commercial artists? They weren't fine artists. They were commercial artists. They were doing a job, um, and they were all very good at it. But isn't it great to actually go look? We can you can now put commercial art into a context and say, look, yeah. this is also worthy of study. Completely. It's worth looking at this because, like the guys who were doing this, were also well, one of the main things they did was. Um, uh, car catalogues mm. because it was it was less expensive oh, how this works I don't know it was less expensive to commission someone to paint the new Triumph Dolomite and then print it than it was and to get the thing photographed absolutely which before, is something I don't no, understand no, but be, at all but before well, Photoshop and things like that yeah. and before cheap photographic reproduction these people were working very fast absolutely very efficiently so they were, we've seen that you look at the artwork when you see it in, in archive I always thought I used to be a commercial illustrator for a bit and the first thing you always learn is that uh, we don't get paid very much so you preserve as much board as possible you, you, the, the paper you're working on mm. you don't waste any you you draw in every corner of it and you look at the the original ladybird artwork they paint right up to the edge of the Absolutely. board there's not a single bit wasted they are doing this as fast and as cheaply as they can so and they're producing so much because the demand is so high that they can probably lower their prices to a point where they are cheaper than a, than a photographer. But the thing is as well, we have to, again, we've lived through such an extraordinary change, haven't we, with digital imagery? Because mm. um, I mean, even when I was at university, the only way I'd be able to look at a, images from a book would be to photocopy them. And then you get this grainy black <laughs> and white nonsense. But cameras were huge and expensive, lighting a set, setting up a car and getting the yeah, angles yeah. completely perfect yeah. and the model all perfect. That must have taken time and money. Whereas, like you say, you know, I've, the speed of, with which you can actually you ever, create an image. Have you ever tried to take a picture of something to sell on eBay? Oh, God, everything looks terrible. Everything looks terrible. My sofa looked about this big. Yeah, there's no sense of the size of things. Mm, And also the perspective, the sides of the thing go in weirdly. You can't make the sides of a tin straight. You realise all the anamorphic lenses and the skills and the Photoshop and the the retouching work that goes into making... If if you were selling a tin of beans, Mm -hmm. try and make a tin of beans look like a tin of beans. (laughs) Is a hugely difficult skill. But perspective is the huge thing, and that's why I was saying what works so well with these is they're flattened. Yeah. Because often depth is really, really tricky to to get right in an yeah. artwork, and that's what artists have grappled with for hundreds well, of these, years. These are these are dealing with with their, they are communicating information exactly, and there are some of them where there, there's an immense density of information that would be really hard to set up as a pose. Certainly, you'd need to set dress uh, Plymouth Hoe to yeah. look like the Armada's coming. We can do that much more easily in a, in a painting, but also. They are a little bit like uh, medieval art, as in there will be things at the top which are more important, things at the bottom which are less important. Yeah. There's a hierarchy of be- a chain of beings. But also in deeply these symbolic. Yeah. Everything has to work in these images. So if you're putting, so putting an object in, it's telling you something. It's got a meaning behind that, that part of the yeah. image. I love that. I love the fact that there's sort of an iconography yeah. of these images with symbols hidden inside them. And it's nice to sort of give honour to them, especially as, as this skill has, has uh, died away. There are very few people... Well, there are people who could do it. I imagine people who work doing things like the packaging for computer games. That's all sort of realistic, photorealistic art. Yeah. There's a lot of people who can still do it, but fewer than you think. When we talked to Ronnie about when she was doing talking about doing the Ladybird Experts, the new adult uh, Ladybird books, she said, I said, where do you find the artists? And she went, out of retirement. Lots Weird. of them were doing things like pet portraits and things. There are people who can paint like this, but the market had fallen through, so the ones who survive are very, very expensive. Wow. So th- this is this is... It's really nice to celebrate these guys who were the best in the business, the peak of their game. They're all friends of Douglas King from when he worked as an advertising man. He knew the best guys and he got them in. And at the time, I always think about there's a lovely song by um, the 60s band, The Creation. I think Boney M covered it called Painter Man. Mm. 
paint a man. Yeah. That one. And there's a brilliant, it's all about going to art college and then the disgrace that the guy goes through having to go and paint advertising yeah. art because all his friends have become fine artists. Mm. And you go, God, just come on, guys. Pop art's going to come along in a minute. And all you guys are going to win. But you know, there's the commercial there's artists huge... who are the cool ones. But I'm so glad you guys have come on as well. And um, you know, next week I'm talking to an illustrator, a children's book illustrator as well, because cool. I think we have a really fixed notion of what art is. It's fine art. It's yeah. great artists in galleries and white cubes and spaces. But so much is visual culture that we are so yeah. affected by the work of artists in, from various backgrounds, particularly through advertising, particularly through mass media. Why not look at those as, I, as, as fascinating historical documents? I had a, yeah. a, a really pompous two-point theory a couple of months ago, <laughs> which I'm standing by, which is I think for about the last 50, maybe 70 years, all the really good stuff, the stuff that's changed our culture, it used to come from high art and it used to come from opera and, and, and classical music. I think is, uh, that stuff is kind of static now. It doesn't affect the, the normal people. It hasn't moved our culture very much. But you say, how has our culture changed? And you go, it's all come from low art. It's come from pop music and it's come from... Uh, I've read a bunch of really good award-winning novels recently. We're at the back, the back. They've said, I'd like to dedicate this to Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, who taught me to tell, tell stories because Spider-Man's really well written. Absolutely. It's a good story. If you look at where our culture is, so much of it, some of it is trashy and it's a bit, you go, oh, have we infantilised ourselves? But also, I would argue that David Bowie has had more effect mm. on music than a lot of composers. And I mean, it is also, it's also <laughs> about survival, isn't it? It's that idea that you look back 800 years to a high medieval court and it will be full of popular culture songs mm. and trivia mm. and, yeah. you know, things that are just changing hands. And then one or two things might stand the test of time. Yeah. You might have one object that ends up. But but this idea of sort of distinguishing high and low art, I think you're absolutely, you know, now our culture is entire, it's moving so fast. It got very mixed up. It, you, you look at things like the, the, the various stories about the Grimm's yeah. going out to preserve vernacular stories, yeah. uh, Cecil Sharp, Alan Lomax, Vaughan yeah. Williams, yeah. people who started collecting folk song and things. The idea that the people's junk could inform high art exactly. is basically the story of the last century or so. And it's the stuff that fascinates me too. If, you, if you've not been, you ought to go to the Museum of Brands, Packaging and Advertising oh, in God. Notting Hill, which is astonishing. I'm it is, there, I'm there. It is, it, is, it is the museum of your cupboards, basically. And it goes from, I think, the Victorian era up to about the 1990s. And it just shows you stuff that would have been in your cupboards. A very, Someone's a very lovely man called Robert Opie has collected all this stuff. I'm, I'm literally um, obsessed and with it's, this. And it's, it's, it's the Museum of the Mundane. It's what's mm. so beautiful about it. It's the same thing as the, some of these Ladybird illustrations where you're going, wow, someone bothered to spend an entire day painting a hammer in gouache, yeah. you know, <laughs> just because we need a picture of a hammer for H is for hammer. Stuff like that. So it's, it's lovely. It's a celebration of the mundane. Mm. And, and some of the text is probably the same thing as well, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, we're, we're kind of... We're making jokes about people being tired and having vasectomies and things like that. You know, it's it's all it's all we the, made, it's all the everyday. Isn't we it? made a list once of our favourite things in comedy, and all of them were celebrations of the banal. Absolutely. And the mundane were Alan Bennett and Victoria Wood and Alan Partridge and Ever to Christie Circles and things we absolutely love. The Office. They're all celebrations of the poetry of the mundane. Absolutely. And Ladybird uh, is just beautiful art oh. painted of. Either exceptional things like Peter Pumpkin Eater or the woman who lived in a shoe, yeah. but occasionally just the same techniques applied to. Actually, even then they're, they're preserving the trash of children's rhymes. Mm. That they, they're giving them this gloss and this sheen of care and attention. But what they are, they're social historical documents, aren't they? Yes, uh, more than yes. anything. Totally. And, yes. and 
that is a, f- a fascinating thing to be. You know, I, I was at I was at Pompeii a few weeks ago, and I was looking at the um, the illustrations in the House of Mysteries there, um, the Villa of Mysteries, where they've got perspective. Hundreds of fucking years before we apparently invented perspective. No, the Romans had it. There it was. And so you've got those. You've got those lovely pictures on the wall. But also when you go into the women's um, baths, there's graffiti where someone has scratched on the wall and they have drawn a boat with a few sailors because they're obviously going, whoa, the sailors are coming yeah. in. You know, they're arriving at the coast. <laughs> you have to follow the willies and to the whorehouse, yeah. don't you? And you go, great. That's, those, those are two, those, and those can coexist yeah. perfectly happily absolutely. next to each other. And I regard both of them as an accurate historical document. Exactly. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, if you want to truly understand the past, you can't just look at the, the selective high pieces that have been preserved by the super rich. Yeah. yeah. Life is far more textured. A place like Pompeii, the fact it's actually cased yeah. in ash means yeah. that it retains every Everything from high to low and, and all they, sectors they of They couldn't censor it. They couldn't no. shut things out. Also, can I say, you might like to go and see, there is an exhibition which is running from this Saturday, which is the, what's this Saturday, the 10th? Of 10th of June, June something like that, right? um, for about three months at the Beanie Museum in Canterbury, there is an exhibition of original Ladybird artwork really? being put on by Helen Day, who is the probably the world's biggest ladybird expert she knows her stuff she's our consultant so wow. we, we phone her to ask questions so this is at the beanie and it's and it's from 10th it's from June saturday for about three the te- yeah for about yeah. three months right yes. it's lovely to look at this stuff up close because it's just it's great brilliant. well we need to i'll come down with you guys you can give me a tour <laughs> and of course it's and it's and it's it's only slightly bigger than the books that's the other thing i thought these things would be huge pictures and they're not they're just they they're not? like it, half up or something it costs you know? a lot in paint it does. the whole point you want to do yeah. quick stuff yeah. quick and cheap well listen guys we have talked so so much it's been amazing and look look how far we've gone yeah, through our chit chat covered everything from yeah. Pompeii up to we got from <laughs> space Pompeii travel. to David Bowie amazing yeah. <laughs> yeah. but uh, it's been an I absolute I knew this would pleasure. happen <laughs> yeah and that's it once you start us off but uh, you've got your own podcast haven't you tell yes. the listeners about that yeah it's a comedy podcast it's called Rule of Three and in which the two of us invite a third person on who is in comedy to talking about to talk about something in comedy that they love so we basically we're sort of pulling the back off comedy, but without actually going, these are the rules and this is how you do it, without being boring. We're doing it with a sort of light touch. Hopefully you know? it's something they bring on that might have influenced them, so you get to hear about how they write their comedy, but also about what I don't know, this episode of The Young Ones or this comic book or whatever meant to them growing up. And it, so far, it's been absolutely delightful. People have just been sharing stuff. We've got some lovely guests on. And so far, we've managed to, I think we're about six or seven episodes in, and we've managed to do a different medium every week. Wow. Everything from the Bash Street Kids to old comedy LPs to uh, <gasps> to big fil- Hollywood films. It's been brilliant fun. Oh, I'd love to come on. <laughs> oh yes, secret passion. Uh, but yeah, so that that's what you're doing. And there, you've also been. You were the brains behind Philomena Kunk, where mm. my whole job of presenting history programs was put on the line. Oh, do, I think. The, <laughs> the, sorry, the, the sorry. Ex, the experts are meant to be the ones who come out looking clever. It's all. <laughs> The, jo- the joke is, we always say the joke with Philomena Kunt, the joke isn't on the experts, the joke isn't on the historians, the joke isn't even on Diane, the mm. joke isn't even on Philomena Kunt, the joke is on whichever idiot gave her a series. <laughs> it's, a, it's supposed to be a big joke about how you really ought to employ experts. <laughs> Well, I love it. I absolutely love it. That's I'm obsessed nice. with it. So I admire everything you guys do. I, I know you're taking a break from the Ladybird books. Is that right? Or are you going to um, keep going? One more thing this year. We're doing one. Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing, a, we're doing that, a coffee yeah. table one, actually. Ooh, yeah. Yay. So that you can, you, you can put that under your coffee table. I don't have a coffee table, by the way. You guys have 
coffee table shamed me. Yeah, you <laughs> oh, my coffee table, table yeah, it's going to look magnificent with yes. your book on Yeah, it so we're, well. doing, we're doing that, and that will be the end of it, oh. I think. Yeah. Well, you know, it's you've created your own bit of magic. Yeah. And yeah. while you've still kept it fresh, I think, yeah, it's like we brought Ladybird towers, back. isn't it? Don't we do too many. We brought Ladybird back. <laughs> we brought Ladybird back. You did, guys. In a nice possible way. We, we reminded everyone, including Ladybird, how much everyone loves Ladybird. And that was a really accidental, nice little process from yeah. something which was meant to just be something to keep us busy for a couple of months. I'm deeply impressed, guys. If people want to follow you, how do they do that? Well, there's a website called Twitter. Um, <laughs> no. And and uh, I have a I have a presence on there oh, good. Um, under the name Jason Hazley, which is my name. Yeah. Um, you're a bit more complicated, aren't you? You're hiding. Yeah, oh, well, I, I, I'm early adopter. You see, so I went under a false name. So I, I'm under the, on there under under Grailfrit, G R A L E F R I T, which is from Forty Towers. It's, it's yeah. what he types on the menu, uh, which I just did at the beginning. And also, if you look for Rule of Three, we're at Rule of Three Pod. We'll tell you what's coming up on Rule of Three. Fabulous, guys. Thank you. What an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for inviting Hope us on. To see you again. And you have brought the world of Ladybird to life for so many. Well done, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.